John chapter 19. I love the lyrics of that song. Uh, no other blood could set us free. And uh, Jesus Christ is very exclusive. He is the only God-man. He is the only sacrifice that could possibly pay the price for our sins because he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. And we need to pay close attention to that fact and acknowledge and recognize the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He's not just some good prophet. He's not some good deed doer that we are to emulate our lives after in some works fashion. Uh, No doubt he did lots of good things and we should be Christ-like in the way we act, but that is not the primary purpose of Jesus' good deeds. Uh, If you study your New Testament, you'll find out really quickly that the purpose of Jesus' good deeds and miracle working and compassion on the lame, the blind, the dead, the purpose of Jesus' miracle working ministry was to prove to the Jews that he was in fact the Messiah that could and would and should and did pay the price for the sins of the world. Jesus is the Christ. And when we come to John chapter 19, we come to uh, the key center of the New Testament message of the Lord Jesus Christ. His crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's very important that we put them in their proper place in our theology. A lot of folks want to emphasize the good deeds and leave out the death, burial, resurrection, and crucifixion of Christ. But if you do that, you remove the teeth of the gospel. You remove the effectiveness of the gospel. You remove the purpose, the whole reason that God sent his son. Crucifixion. I want you to look with me in John chapter 19, beginning our reading in verse number 17. The Bible says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him, and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now therefore stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, 
Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true. That ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith. They shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Will you look with me? A famous phrase and the last thing that we hear Jesus say from the cross, verse number 30. The Bible says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Today's message is titled, it is finished. It is finished. Now this is an interesting word. In another uh, one of the gospel records, we actually see the original word, to telestai. And Jesus cried out, One word, to telestai, and it meant it is finished. It's a fascinating word because it was a word that was used commonly in this day in many occupations. To telestai. If a priest were offering a sacrifice, and when the sacrifice had been inspected and made, and he saw that everything, the details, every detail of the sacrifice was right and perfect and complete, He cried out to Telestai, it's finished. It's okay. All is well. It's complete and right. An artist, this was a word that an artist would use. An artist would 
make the last stroke on a canvas and would step back and look at his work of art and inspect it and say, to Telestai, it's complete. For some reason, I got this in my mind of a French person going, it's perfect. To Telestai, complete. A writer would have gone over his manuscript time and time again and changed the last little detail and he would have looked at his work and said, to Telestai, it's right, it's good. I guess my favorite would be the merchant. A merchant when a deal was complete and the debt was paid in full, he would say, to Telestai, it's finished. The transaction is complete. All the details are in order. Everything is right. To Telestai, it's finished. And Jesus, as he hung on the cross, the sinless Son of God, keenly aware of every detail of the law that he must fulfill, keenly aware of every detail and every purpose and every reason for his sacrifice, in consideration of all of his work, he said to Telestai, he said, it's finished. It's right. It's good. It's complete. It's perfect. It's finished. Folks, we have so much to be thankful for. You see, my and your sin separates us from God, condemns us to hell. But Jesus, in love, hung from the cross and gave up the ghost with a clear understanding that the work he had done was finished, complete, right, accurate, perfect, to Telestai. It is finished. It is finished. Let's consider three very, very simple things. Number one, this morning, Christ crucified. Number two, Christ dead. Number three, Christ buried. Those are the things we cover in this text this morning. Number one, Christ crucified. Look with me in verse 17. The Bible says, And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. We see Jesus bearing his cross. Oh, it's a tragic moment. He's been scourged, mocked, ridiculed, and now he's carrying the cross beam, most likely just the top part of the cross. He's carrying the cross beam, a nearly one-mile walk, bearing the cross for you and I. He carries the cross to the place of the skull. Some people want to think that that's the place of the skull is a place where skulls were left. Most likely that's not the case. You, if you imagine the Golgotha being the kind of place where you'd walk there to, the, uh, to where the cross are and there's skulls laying everywhere, most likely that's not the case. It is believed in most, and that Golgotha is a place that the, the side of the hill would look like a skull, and they called it Golgotha, the place of the skull. He went there to Golgotha. The Bible says there in verse 18 was where they crucified him. Crucifixion. 
Crucifixion was a grueling thing, and I don't even like to think about it. But the way it worked is the basest of ways to put a person to death. They reserved crucifixion for, Romans reserved crucifixion for the worst of their enemies. On a rare occasion, a Roman would be executed, but most of the time it was the enemies of the state. They reserved this punishment for the worst of the worst. Some people believe that the thieves on either side of Jesus were associates of Barabbas, but I don't know. Thieves. They crucified him. They drove nails into his hands, into his feet. And they stood his cross up as a hole at the bottom. They attached the top of his cross to the beam, to the, the upright of the cross. And they stood it up and dropped it in the hole. He was crucified. Crucifixion, you didn't die from the nails. They'd figured out just exactly where to put the nails where you wouldn't bleed out. You died from asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe. The way you hang on the cross, the body hasn't the ability to breathe. And so what you have to do is you have to push up. Eventually, you're so exhausted you can't push up anymore with your feet against the nails. Eventually, you die of asphyxiation, except that's not how Jesus died. No man took his life. The song says, with love he gave it. He gave up the ghost. But they crucified him, the Son of God. Jesus, the healer. The greatest expression of love that's ever existed, they crucified him. The Bible says in verse 18 where they crucified him. And two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. The Old Testament in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 said he was numbered with the transgressors. And in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy written more than a thousand years previous. Jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do. The Bible says in verse 19, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. On the top of a cross, they would put why the person was there. and There was no accusation that they could put, no legal statute or code that they could write. Question comes to Pilate, what do we put? Write it down. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verse 20, the Bible says, This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. My study, something that someone said I thought was quite fascinating, was Pilate had no idea, but when he put the King of the Jews of the top of Jesus' cross and Three languages, he really had made a gospel track. It was that accusation and that title that compelled, no doubt, one of the thieves on the cross to have a burden 
to be part of that king's kingdom. Pilate had written, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But this bothered the Jews. They didn't like that. As a matter of fact, the leaders of the Jews, the chief priests have a question and request of Pilate. Verse 21, the Bible says, Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Finally, Pilate has enough guts to stand up to these people, but it's too late. They said, change it to he said instead of just king of the Jews. And Pilate said, uh-uh, I've written what I've written. Verse 23, the Bible says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, let's not tear it apart, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 24 is a fulfillment of Psalm 22. David, more than a thousand years prior to the Life and death of Jesus Christ is compelled by the Spirit of God to write Psalm 22 and prophesy that Jesus' garments would be parted between the soldiers and that they would cast lots. They would actually literally gamble for Christ's undergarment that was whole and solid and woven like a sock. The Bible says in verse 24 that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Folks, I want you to know something. Christ was crucified. Christ was crucified. Can you imagine the humiliation? This moment. Can you imagine the heartbreak of this moment? Jesus Sinless, perfect, our loving Lord. All of his earthly possessions, all he owned was probably a turban and a girdle and a cloak. A few pieces of clothing. And these rotten soldiers who spit on him and punched him, plaited a crown of thorns and placed them on his head, mocked him with a purple robe. Those same group of guys are now gambling over who will get the hole of his cloak. Kind of makes me mad. That's my flesh. I'm thankful it didn't make him mad. I'm thankful that it didn't cause him to say, Cody's not worth it. They're not worth it. I'm thankful that even in spite of the fact that people right below him were gambling and cursing and robbing him, Jesus, the God-man, 
He didn't come off the cross. He didn't call 10,000 angels like the song said. He stayed there for me and for you. And he stayed there for the very soldiers that at his feet were making mockery of him. Folks, I want you to know so that Christ was crucified. <laughs> the picture gets more somber as we continue our reading. Look what the Bible says in verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Oh, you imagine that grief. I've never been a mom. I anticipate I never will be. But there stood his mother. There stood his mother. And his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, his disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And saith he to the disciples, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Jesus here gives the responsibility to his disciple to take care of his mother. And the disciple did just that. I'm thankful. You know, when Jesus gives us assignments, and he does, for children he gives us the assignment to obey. For men, husbands, he gives us the assignment to love. For all of us, he gives us the assignment to serve him. When Jesus gives us an assignment, we ought to take that very seriously. The picture that I want you to see at Christ's crucifixion is this. It's an interesting thought, something that testifies to me of the reality and the fact that Jesus was everything he said he was. If there was anybody at that cross at that moment when Jesus was being crucified, who could have spoken up and said, Hey, this whole thing is not real. This whole story's got out of whack. It's got out of line. I retract everything I've ever said. It was Mary. Mary knew. That she was a virgin who conceived of the Holy Ghost, the Messiah. Hey, look, if this was a farce, the heart of a mother standing at the foot of the cross couldn't have bore the grief. She could have testified there and said, whoa, he's out of his mind. And I've lied to him his whole life. It's not true. It's not true. But she stood there. Mary, his mother. Folks, I want you to know something. For you and for me, for the whole world, Christ was crucified. Christ was crucified. The Bible says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. He says, all right, I've got one last thing to do. To make the perfect transaction. To complete the prophecies of the Old Testament. I must say one more thing. I thirst. The Bible says in verse 29, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar. And put it upon hyssop. And put it to his mouth. 
Christ was crucified. Christ was crucified. He's crucified for us. Number two, Christ died. Christ died. Look what the Bible says in verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Oh, what a wonderful truth. What a beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus remained in constant control. He was not a victim. He was a giver. He said, it's finished. He says, everything is complete. It's perfect. It's right. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Verse 31, the Bible says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, the Jews are still worried about, uh, about keeping their religion. They've just crucified an innocent man, and they're worried that there might be uh, an infraction to their opinion of the law, and we can't let... These dead bodies or these, these men that are dying and being crucified, we can't let that be while we're celebrating the Passover. And so the Jews asked Pilate to go ahead and get this over with. You know, the way that you dispatch someone who's being crucified and make it go faster is you break their legs. Why? Because if their legs are broken, they can't get up and catch a breath. The problem is... If you break Jesus' legs, you will mess up everything that the Old Testament had to say about the Christ. The Old Testament prophesied that the Christ, none of his bones would be broken. When they drove the nails in his hands, no bones were broken. When they drove the nails in his feet, no bones were broken. But could it be that this one last act, an order from Pilate to the soldiers will be the thing that defies him as the Christ. Absolutely not. They came to the cross. The thief on the cross was still alive and they broke his legs. He soon died. They came to the other. He was still alive and the other thief on the cross, they broke his leg and he soon died. But When they came to Jesus, it was crystal clear that he was already dead. And for whatever reason, these soldiers, I know what reason. Sovereignty of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God. They realized he was already dead. The soldiers testify first and foremost to the fact that he was dead. Now let me tell you something. There are folks out there that want to teach and believe somehow that Jesus did not actually die. They, they use a the word swoon, that he swooned in the grave. They, they took him down off of the cross and they put him in that cool tomb where his body then revived and healed up and he was all good and fine. That's a lie. Christ Jesus died. Paul testifies to it. Peter testifies to it. Soldiers testify to it. Mary and Martha testify to it. The Holy Spirit testifies to it. Jesus testifies to it. The testimonies are exceeding and great. Jesus died. There was no swooning in the grave. 
He died on the cross. They saw he was dead. As a matter of fact, just to check, they take a spear and pierce his side, and out comes water and blood. I don't understand all I know about that. That separation testifies to his death, and Jesus died. The soldiers came, and they did not break his legs. The Bible says in verse 34, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true. He knoweth that he saith is true, that ye might believe. Verse 36, For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. Folks, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. One, Christ was crucified. Number two, Christ died. Number three, Christ was buried. Look the Bible says in verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea. Now, that's an interesting thing. Joseph of Arimathea was actually a leader among the Jews. He was one of the believers among... He was a minority among the other Jewish leaders, but he was a rich man, a Jewish man, a believer. He believed that there was something unique about Jesus. I personally think that Joseph Arimathea was an honest student of God's word, and he said, I can't deny all that this man has fulfilled. Joseph Arimathea could take his Old Testament one that he claimed to study and know and believe, he could have taken his Old Testament and verified that if Jesus was the Christ, he would have to be born in Bethlehem. And he would look, oh, wow, he was. He could take his Old Testament and verify that Jesus would have to spend a little time in Egypt. And whoa, he did. Joseph Arimathea could take his Old Testament and verify the details about his crucifixion. Joseph of Arimathea could literally have taken his Bible and understood and planned and known that Jesus would die before the Passover at 3 p.m. Why? Because that's when the Passover lamb was slain. Joseph of Arimathea could have taken his Bible and he could have made a plan and figured out that I need to have a new tomb prepared near the cross just after 3 p.m. before the Passover because if Jesus has fulfilled everything else that's written in the Old Testament that makes him the Messiah, he's going to die when the Passover lamb's going to die and he'll be buried and I'm going to have to be the one that buries him. Joseph Arimathea Has a tomb, his own tomb prepared, a new one. No man's ever laid in it. When Jesus gives up the ghost, he goes to Pilate and says, I want his body. Pilate gave it to him. The Bible says in verse number 39, there came also Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus? 
Nicodemus had some time to think about all that Jesus had said. Nicodemus was he that came to Jesus by night. John chapter number 3. As a matter of fact, it was Nicodemus that Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're a good boy. He didn't say it exactly like that, but basically. He said, but you, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus heard the words of Jesus. It was to Nicodemus that Jesus looked at him and said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I wonder if the word gave was ringing in Nicodemus' ear that night. Is this the gift? Is this the gift? And Nicodemus, along with Joseph, Two people who had fallen in love with the Word of God and the fulfillment of the Word of God and who John said was the Word of God. They'd fallen in love with Jesus and understood that their Old Testament and Jesus lined up perfectly. These two rich, prominent, religious, Jewish men did what all men must do. They put their trust in Christ. The Bible says in verse 39, There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Christ was buried. Christ was buried. I think about Joseph and Nicodemus. Can you imagine this moment? No doubt being men, being fleshly like we all are. They found themselves in a spot. Jesus was dead. He wasn't yet risen. There was still that possibility, perhaps, somehow, that we're wrong. But what did Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea do? They said, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus has done so far. Here's where we are. And he may be dead right now, but according to the Scripture, he's going to rise again in three days. We better trust him. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You're in a situation where your hope has not come true yet. You're in that moment where you're like, oh, I need you, Lord. You're tempted to trust the flesh. Or you're tempted to trust the crowd. Or you're tempted to trust God. I have you know something. Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus did the right thing in the moment where it could have gone either way, it seems like, in the flesh. We know it couldn't have gone any other way. And Christ rising from the dead. They said in light of all he's done in the past. And who he is. I'll trust him right now. For the results that I need. Now that's the spirit. That the bearer of Christ should teach us. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Christ buried. What did Jesus say about all this? To Telestai, it's right, it's perfect, it's finished.
Folks, I want you to know something. The fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he died and was buried, is the only hope that any of us have for life and eternity. He was faithful. He did it right. He did it perfect. And in case you don't already know, that's not the end of the story. He doesn't stay in the grave. He arises victoriously. And the Bible says because he lives, we can live also. We have a Savior. And he died for you and I. Why would he do that? Why would he allow himself to be crucified? Why would he literally yield up and be willing to give up the ghost and die? Why would the Son of God be buried in any man's tomb? Nicodemus had already heard it. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. All things that Jesus said to John. I'm sorry, to Nicodemus. In John chapter number 3. And folks, it's the hope that we all have. A crucified, dead, and buried Savior. That in just three days will rise again. You see... It's one thing to be religious. It's one thing to say, you know what? I want to be good like Jesus. But I want you to know that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that all men are sinners. Our sin condemns us. And the only hope for sinners is a sinless, perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, he was that sacrifice. Why? So he could pay the price for our sins. The merchant said to Talisa, it's finished. The debt is paid in full. Jesus said, it's finished. I've paid the sin debt of the whole world. And all men, women, boys and girls, every person that's ever breathed air, must be born again. Must repent of their sins and trust Jesus by faith as their Savior. That's why Jesus came. The Bible says that with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I want to ask you today, are you saved? Has there been a time when you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus? Has God made a change in your life if the answer is no? Your efforts to be good like Jesus will not produce eternal life as Jesus intended. Repent, believe, and trust, and you can be saved from your sin.
Put your trust in Jesus today, I pray.